This episode of The Game is brought to you by the return of football to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter, podcasts.com. Never miss a beat on when an episode of The Game goes live. You won't want to miss this one. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. We are back with episode 8 of the game. I am broadcasting to you guys here from my home in Maryland because of Hurricane Florence. So thank you for giving me that extra vacation. But that vacation's allowed me to, you know, kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy the fact that football is back. Football is back in full swing. I know I didn't have anything for week one with you guys, but the game is not just a wrestling podcast. As much as I would love it to be, it is not just a wrestling podcast. We have other sports to cover here, and we're going to start with some football. In this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about the Ravens and the Bengals, the fallout from that. Uh, My NFL Fave 5, I'm going to be giving you the odds and who I'm picking for your betting odds, so get those wallets out, log on to DraftKings, and let's get this going. And then after a short little break, we're going to be back with some Hell in a Cell predictions for WWE coming tomorrow, or today, when whenever this goes up. But let's just get started and talk about the Ravens and the Bengals. Thursday night football, the Ravens lost to the Cincinnati Bengals 28-34. to Now, I'm going to go through the good, the bad, and the ugly here. And I'm sure I'm just mirroring what everyone in Baltimore is saying. But I'm going to go a little bit, you know, I'm going to go a little bit against the crowd here and talk about the good. Joe Flacco's performance, minus the two turnovers. That is the key here. Minus the two interceptions he had, especially the one in the first half, which really turned the tide early on in the game, allowed them to get a 21-0 lead. But Flacco threw for 376 yards and two touchdowns along with those interceptions. But the big thing here is that his rating went down from 121 in the first week against Buffalo all the way down to 76 against the Bengals. But I do see some flashes of greatness in Joe and some flashes of motivation in Flacco. And part of me during the game wanted him to, you know, just kind of take care of the ball more, not be as as flashy with the risk taking here. And when he did, most of the time it paid off. I mean, we'll talk about him later, but John Brown, uh, that beautiful 45-yard completion to him to get the ball rolling at the end of the first half. And you saw a drive there. You saw a drive in his eyes. You saw him throw it and spread it across to Michael Crabtree, to Willie Sneed, to uh, Boyle, and I think it was Mark Andrews, the rookie tight end. But um, he did a good job of spreading out the ball here. I don't think there were any complaints really in terms of... I don't want to say how he was throwing the ball, but... He was he was selective for the most part, and that was also kind of his undoing. But I'm focusing on the good here. I think Flacco did a great job, kind of being a being a, a play caller, being a good game manager for the most part. But I want to go to the bad. Also on the offensive side, not playing Alex Collins enough, and I think this is huge because he's your number one running back, and he's great. He can convert third downs for you, whether it's second and nine or third and four. He can catch the ball. He can run. He can be a good receiver. He can be a good blocker. So why are you having Buck Allen on third downs? I get you want to rescue. You want to rest your star running back. I get that. But at the same time, Buck Allen isn't going to be giving you as much efficiency. And I know you got to rest him. 
that was my dog. <laughs> I know you got to rest Alex Collins and and you got to give him his, his his time to recover in between downs and possessions, but when you need him on third down, he's going to be that decision maker other than him and maybe Michael Crabtree who is kind of kind of okay right now. I can't really see what his full potential would be with with a great kind of performance with Flacco. I don't know if I can trust Flacco to give Crabtree that performance, but that's not up to Crabtree. We're we're not talking about Crabtree right now. We're talking about Alex Collins. I think they didn't utilize him as much as he could. I think a couple points in the game I was wondering to myself, where is Alex Collins? Why isn't he on the field? He could be a decision maker right now. Buck is good but he's not great, and he's not Alex Collins, the guy we put so much stock into in the past year at a running back position, and I think not playing him for as much, I don't want to overwork the guy, but not playing him nearly in his full capacity of what he could bring to the team when it meant the most was the bad. And now I'm going to get to the ugly. The ugly is the defense, and coming off of a stellar week one, albeit against the Bills and an offense that's still trying to figure it out with a banged up LaShawn McCoy, Nathan Peterman stinking it up all over the joint, and Josh Allen making his first, you know, regular season start against starters, it's not excusable to go into Cincinnati on the road and just absolutely not cover anybody, especially, I think, uh, the the wide receiver's name was Boyd. I think Boyd got us a couple of times, and he was our undoing in week 17 of last year, which knocked us out of the playoffs. But I think not being able to efficiently rush Andy Dalton, we had zero sacks. The Bengals had four, which was really bad. And we couldn't rush the pass that well. We couldn't even contain Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon didn't run for a lot, but when he did, he got the first down, and he was what Alex Collins should have been on the Ravens' side. And that's why I think the defense was the ugliest part of our game, especially I know you have lofty expectations to fill when it comes to week two after a stellar week one like they did when you when you only gave up, I think, seven, no, three points. But you couldn't stop Mixon. You couldn't stop A.J. Green. A.J. Green is our kryptonite, and I'm going to say that right now. He always has been for the past five years at least. When the Bengals were semi-good, I don't know when that was, five years ago, but A.J. Green would just tear us up at home. I remember I was at one game uh, in the past five years at home, and it was week 17 because we always play the Bengals week 17 for some reason. But A.J. Green was streaking down the field, not not naked, but, you know, the the route, <laughs> comedy on the game, as you know. But um, Andy Dalton had to throw a Hail Mary to send it in overtime, and albeit who was there to grab it in the end zone from 50 yards away, A.J. Green. And I think this is part of Jimmy Smith not being active. You had the wrong guys covering A.J. Green. I think you had, you had Young covering him. You had Humphrey, who just isn't ready for that. And obviously, you're not going to put Eric Weddle on on A.J. Green because he's a safety. But Brandon Carr couldn't even contain him. And that's when you know it's a problem. That's when you know you really missed a, uh, you really missed Jimmy Smith. And you also really missed C.J. Mosley. And I think that is a big reason why Joe Mixon was allowed to be as efficient as he was. Because if you had C.J. Mosley there, you could be able to just shoot him down the middle on the running plays. And he's a playmaker. He'll get those stops for you. You could have had him guarding Tyler Eifert or Boyd or even put him on A.J. Green for a short possession or if he's coming down the middle on a drag route. But I think not having C.J. Mosley there, not having Jimmy Smith there, showed how 
inefficient, inefficient our defense was. And to give up 34 points after only giving up three points compared to week one is just pathetic because the Andy Dalton's not a great quarterback. I'm not saying Flacco is is a good quarterback or is a great quarterback, but we usually have his number, but we never have A.J. Green's number. And he took advantage of that, scored three touchdowns in the first half, which is just embarrassing. Thank God. It felt like a blowout in the first half, and then that just kind of set a tone for the second half. I don't know what John Harbaugh said at halftime, but it did light some fire under the Ravens' asses. They did close a 28-7, to I believe, deficit it was. And while it seemed close at points, I just never was fully invested in the Ravens coming back and winning it. And that is a lack of motivation, a lack of leadership on this team, which I think has been an issue for a long time. We had defensive players like Brandon Carr, as I mentioned, and Terrell Suggs and Matthew Judon, who were essentially non-factors because they had to be on the field for the majority of the game, containing one of the best receivers in the league who had a awesome fantasy, if you're if you pay attention to fantasy, an awesome performance and three touchdowns, you know, and he wasn't even the leading receiver in terms of receptions, I don't think, for the Bengals that week, but Either way, when you let A.J. Green go off like that, you're going to get this result, and it's disappointing for the Ravens. It's disappointing considering how much momentum they had, or we had. I can be unbiased. I can be biased here. Um, How much momentum we had coming out of week one, and now you look at week three, which is Denver at home next Sunday. And I like the odds. Case Keenum is doing fine. They have Royce Freeman, who... Who was, who was okay, really big preseason hype. The offense isn't really what worries me there. I know Emmanuel Sanders might give Brandon Nakar and Marlon Humphrey some trouble if Jimmy Smith is still inactive, which he probably will be, but that's not what worries me. What worries me is not their offense, but I think their defense worries me because I am worried about, number one, Flacco choking under pressure, not getting Collins the ball, number two, which I think shouldn't be an issue, utilizing all three receivers for number three, conveniently enough, to the degree that they did. And what worries me the most, though, fourth and foremost, is the pass rush that they'll bring against Flacco. I mean, the Denver Broncos still have one of the best defenses in the league. You can't convince me otherwise, Von Miller, you know, stellar Super Bowl MVP, And it really worries me because you had um, Ronnie Stanley go out of the game. You had to move Orlando Brown Jr. over. You had Jensen moving over as well. And Yonda, while he's great, he can't guard the entire length of the offensive line. And I think they're going to give Flacco trouble, make him have costly errors, and we could see more than four sacks go up on the board. But I like I like the odds against Denver, especially at home. We have a very good record at home. We we. We usually give them trouble, and I think the Ravens will be able to pull out a good defensive performance. Pressure If they press Case Keenum enough, uh, keep Emmanuel Sanders at bay. Don't let Royce Freeman grow, go off and make a career-making performance out of the young guy. And just being timely and efficient with each play, I think that was the undoing against Cincinnati, especially late in the game when we were frantic and we were urgent. Granted, we were getting yards, but I think being focused and keeping that intensity that in the last two minutes of Cincinnati where it didn't pay off, keep that intensity going for 60 minutes. I think it's a sound win for the Ravens at home. 
But now we're going to talk about my fave five. I'm picking five games out of the NFL season week two tomorrow or today. It depends again. So I'll just say on Sunday, and these are my five games where I looked at the betting odds from ESPN, and I'm going to give who I pick. And we'll start right now with the Chiefs and the Steelers. And I'm taking the Chiefs plus six. And I think this is going to be a nail-biter of a game in Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. And I'm saying this for a reason because I think Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Kareem Hunt can tear up that Steelers defense. You saw them in disarray against the Browns, and I think they're the weakest part of the Steelers game right now. They don't really have a face other than Ryan Shazier. But... um. I, I don't see the Steelers pressing Kansas City enough, and if they do, Patrick Mahomes not only has a cannon for an, arm, for an arm, he has wheels and he has weapons, and I think if he utilizes them, if Tyreek Hill breaks free and goes off, nobody can stop him, nobody in the secondary for Pittsburgh, nobody at the line can stop Kareem Hunt, and I think Patrick Mahomes may have a very, very, very big week two here, but while I pick them to you know, narrow down the spread, be within six points. I think if James Conner has another game like he does against the Chiefs, who may have a more dysfunctional defense than the Browns did, because the Chiefs are having their issues. They still gave up a lot of points against LA, the Chargers, in week one. And if Big Ben is not as costly with his mistakes against a less well-oiled machine of a defense than Kansas City I think they have a chance to squeak it out here I think Antonio Brown will have a monster game as well and it's really a game of attrition but it's going to be within six points so I'm picking Kansas City and now we're going to move on to the Vikings at the Packers 1 p.m. on Sunday I'm picking the Vikings Vikings plus one I know Aaron Rodgers had a godly performance, maybe top 10 in his career against the Bears last week in Sunday night football in Lambeau Field. But I don't think it's going to be the same when you have a defense like the Vikings. While the Bears had Khalil Mack and they had and he had rather Aaron Rodgers' number for the first half, I think the Vikings have an overall better secondary. They have a better um pass rush, uh, you know, run defense as well. Not like the Packers really run the ball. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is throwing the ball like like a madman every week. But I think they'll be able to contain Rodgers a little bit, shut down Devontae Adams, and make him throw to other lesser-known targets. Maybe Randall Cobb, but I think they can shut down the receiving core easily. Kirk Cousins in his debut game in Minnesota. Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, Cousins and Diggs. What a absolute unit right there. I think they'll be able to dismantle Green Bay's defense, even if they're getting better. And I don't think it's going to be a one-point game. It might be a touchdown that makes a difference, or it might be a field goal. But I'm going to take the Vikings plus one. And that's a quick one right there because I'm very confident that the Vikings will be able to go into Lambeau and shut the Packers down, humble them a little bit. You know, Aaron, Rod Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback I have ever seen. It doesn't mean he's the best, but I think he's the most talented. He plays a backyard football style that just works in the pro league. He can sling it. He's accurate. He very rarely makes mistakes. He's just got to stay healthy, and I think the Vikings pass rush, pass rush will be able to you know, keep him busy, if not maybe take him out of the game. Who knows? Bad misfortune, but the Vikings plus one that's my pick right there, and I'm going to move to the Patriots and the Jaguars for 25 p.m. start time 
in Jacksonville, and I'm going to take the Patriots minus one. And I know September isn't the best the best month for Bill Belichick, but that does not mean they go, you know, 0-3 in September. They're not going to do that. They're already 1-0. I think they'll go 2-1 or 3-0. This was a hard one I had to wrestle with for a while because the Jags have the best defense in the NFL overall, I think. But Tom Brady's going to find his groove here. He might find some exposure in there. And I think the big thing here, the deciding factor that will make the Patriots win and narrow the odds here and keep the, the advantage will be Blake Bortles if he shows up and if Leonard Fournette stays healthy. That is the biggest thing here. They can't afford for him to not play. They can't afford for Blake Bortles to not, you know, be a playmaker here. And if he isn't, Tom Brady's going to obviously take advantage of that no matter how good the Jaguars defense is. So I think the Patriots are going to take it minus one. I think it may be a field goal game and that's as close as it's going to get. Still going to be a great game, going to steal the day potentially. So the Patriots minus one. And the win here in Jacksonville on the road. And now I'm going to get to the two primetime games. I'm going to get this one out of the way first. Monday Night Football, the Seahawks and the Bears. The Bears are a three-point favorite, and I don't see it. Maybe they'll win due to Khalil Mack and the and if Mitch Trubisky shows up at home. But I think Seattle's going to you know narrow the point spread down, take it plus three and a half right here. And I think if Russell Wilson gets going... And I know Doug Baldwin's out, but get him going there. And if the defense can hold down Mitch Trubisky, I think they can make this a really close game, especially with Earl Thomas back. The Legion of Boom right there, minus uh, Richard Sherman, of course, who is in San Francisco now. But I think the, the defense is still strong enough to keep green, uh, the, the Bears, rather. I got my week one games mixed up at bay there. So I'm going to take the Seahawks plus three and a half there. And then we'll move to the prime time game, the battle of 0 and one teams, the Giants and the Cowboys. And I'm going to pick the Giants plus three. And I think they're going to take the win here on the road. They always do in Dallas. And I think this is because Saquon Barkley is going to go off against the Dallas Cowboys defense. And I think Eli Manning might have a potentially huge game with Odell Beckham Jr. The Cowboys are in absolute disarray right now but the Cowboys are going to be fine they're not going to be great they're not going to be shit but they're not they're, they're going to be fine Dak Prescott and Zeke are still your stars there they got to start acting like stars realize why they're building the franchise around them but I think the Giants on offense are going to take advantage of this Saquon's going to explode Eli's going to have a good game I think the Giants are just going to keep a quick pace and round down and you know pound down that defense of the Cowboys and they're going to take the win here along with the three points. So that is my NFL preview and fave five. Might have been a little rusty there, but that's the first week there. Some music, and then we'll get back to some WWE Hell in a Cell predictions. Don't go away. It's the game. Wanna rage and jump off the stage? Listen to the lyrics that jump off the page. I got the Gemini, so you can bring the sage. One funky band coming out the cage. Yo, T R E Y, she can see why. I am that guy, your girl can't get by. Go to the show and kiss the flows. I'm with the bros and we ain't got no. Yeah, we got some funky music. You know it's universal. A super smooth band, we don't even need rehearsal. We in the car, we swerving. We tight like some birdies. Call your baby daddies and tell them that it's urgent. Yo, I'm rolling through the county 
with no knives or pieces Just trying to be fresh in shoes with no creases If you forgot, let me show you what a piece is If you ain't slick, let me show you where the grease is Rope this flow right after a trip to Denny's You know we took the winters, nothing more than a penny Yeah, I'm underage, so I can't sit the Henny But I'm still a G, so you can call me Kenny Yo, we be writing songs about some random But I'm spitting flames like I'm George Costanza Sitting in the basement, I'm doing Bonanza Call me Kel Mitchell while I'm sipping the fancy Yo, now's the time, liberate your mind What? Now's the time, liberate your mind Get up, now's the time, liberate your mind What? Now's the time, liberate your mind Get up, now's the time, liberate your mind What? Now's the time, liberate your mind Get up, now's the time, liberate your mind What? Nothing time, liberate your mind, get up, 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 nothing time, liberate your I rhyme like this, I rhyme like that. Now we trading bars, we going tip for tat. When it comes to cutting tracks, we don't cut no slack. I do it for the luck, cause I ain't got no racks. And now my backpack is full, but my wallet is empty. Don't wear Louis V, homie, please don't tempt me. Mr. Bernie Sanders, can you pay my rent, please? And throw a few dollars like your name was Trent Green. I'm just a bachelor, looking for a partner. Bars going harder than Dwayne Carter. Throw it back to the 90s, cause I'm looking for a starter. Jersey of the bus, and Bettis was a charter. And now you all know that we are the best band. They call me Chestnut, so I guess I'm the best, man. We be working hard, we don't take no rest, man. All these other bands trying to catch their breath, man. Now's the time, liberate your mind, what? Now's the time, liberate your mind, get up. Now's the time, liberate your mind, what? Now's the time, liberate your mind, get up. Now's the time, liberate your mind, what? Now's the time, liberate your mind, get up. Now's the time, liberate your mind, what? Now's the time, liberate your mind, get up. 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 Now's the time, liberate your mind. Back here on the game, thanks to my buddies, One Life to Lead for their song, Get Up. Find it on Spotify, on YouTube, wherever. Shout out to my boys in Baltimore, local music. That's all I'll be playing here on the game. Local music, whether it's Baltimore, Elon artists, anything at all. If you want to be on the show, send me your song and I'll play it. I don't even care, man. Any exposure that I can give to you guys and my help, I would love to do. And before we get back to some wrestling, rather, the good old game podcast wrestling i want to talk about lamar jackson and his state with the ravens and the quarterback situation and here it is there is no quarterback situation in baltimore because joe flacco is the clear-cut starter and these come from my immediate reactions to the Bengals game not really the formulated ones i had at the beginning of the show but my my go-to reaction after the game was Flacco's not motivated. (laughs) Why did I ever think the Ravens would be different and that he would perform different? Because he knows he's the starter. He knows Lamar is not going to take his job this season. Because Lamar, while he is talented, is being used as a sideshow. He's being used as a distraction at the wide receiver position. Or when he runs, he gets tackled for a yard because they all know, oh shit, he's on the field, they're going to do a QB draw, which they do. But there's not there's not any inkling for or, or chance that Lamar is going to outbeat Flacco this year. Flacco knows he's the starter, and that's why he played so unmotivated in the first half. While he did come back, as I said, in the first half of the show, with a good comeback to bring the Ravens within a touchdown, he was still 
quote-unquote Joe Cool, as people like to call him. But Flacco needs to be motivated. And for that to happen, Lamar has got to learn. And Lamar is going to learn, you know, being his backup or under RG3 even, a mobile quarterback who had some mistakes by getting injured and never returned to his full potential. I think RG3 doesn't want to see that happen to Lamar. So Lamar has got to train under the Harbaugh and Flacco system in order to get better. It's like practicing. You know, Lamar has a lot of raw talent and a lot of upside. And I think the only way to channel that and, you know, utilize it down the road is for him to back up Flacco for a year. And I tweeted this out an odd month ago. Lamar should not be starting because he should back up Flacco for a year, hone his skills in practice or whatever late in the season if we make the playoffs, because I still think we're a very good football team. And then trade, that was a big breath, wow, and then trade Flacco at the end of the year for any upside we could get to whoever needs a quarterback, I don't even know, it's the beginning of the year, it's week two, whatever, but that's all I wanted to say about Lamar Jackson, the quarterback quote-unquote situation in Baltimore, Flacco's the starter, deal with it, he's there for good, trust the defense, trust John John Harbaugh, trust Flacco to actually give a shit during a game, but that's how I see it. Now we're going to move on to some WWE Hell in a Cell from San Antonio on Sunday night. And let's just go right down the card. We're going to start with the pre-show, the New Day versus Rusev Day. Rusev and Aiden English. And I think the New Day are going to retain here. Why? Because it's the beginning of their title run. They won it from the Bludgeon Brothers. They're really the franchise team of SmackDown Live you saw that um, rivalry start to bud between them and the bar, who I thought were going to be the number one contenders. But surprisingly, Rusev Day, who can always go out there and put on a good a good match or a good title match. You saw Clash of Clans 2017 when they were in there with the New Day, the Usos, and I believe it was Gable and someone else. Was it, was it American Alpha? No, I don't know. But either way... Um, or in Rusev's AJ, AJ Styles WWE Championship match at Extreme Rules. I think Rusev Day is a fun act here. They're actually got a good story going on with Aiden English sacrificing himself for the team. And it actually working. Hence Tuesday night. And this is going to be a fun little throw together match that I think has more, more prominence than the Raw Tag Team Championship match. So I'm going to pick the New Day to retain here. And we'll go straight to that Raw champion, Tag Team Championship match with the newly crowned champions Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre versus two-thirds of the Shield, Seth Rollins, and Dean Ambrose. And I think that Ziggler and McIntyre are going to retain here. This is what this would be hot shotting the titles onto the Shield a little too fast after their reunion. Everyone thought Ambrose was going to turn heel and stomp on everybody's hearts, but to the surprise, and you know, much to my like surprise and you know. I welcomed that. He reunited with Rollins. He helped him get the win. And now this is just another step in the story arc between the four men. And I think Ziggler and McIntyre would be great champions. Put that off until Australia, when I think the end game here is for all three members of the Shield to hold the top titles on Raw, Universal, Intercontinental Championship, and Tag Team. Throw Ronda Rousey in the Shield and you'll have a dominant faction. That's not going to happen. So I think that's the end game here, but I do think for Hell in a Cell, via screwy finish, DQ, something, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre are going to retain. And now what baffles me here, there are two things. There are only eight matches on the card right now. I think that'll change, especially with, um, you know, Andrade, Cien Almas, and R-Truth having that weird match. Maybe Carmella and Selena Vega. Zelina Vega will get in there for a mixed tag match. 
on Raw, you have uh, Kevin Owens and Bobby Lashley maybe might go at it. Who knows at this point? But another issue I have is that the Intercontinental title, which I understand why it's not being defended, and the United States Championship are not being defended. And this is kind of an issue. It's kind of not. I get why they're not, you know, having Nakamura have a match if there are no quote-unquote good challengers, as they say. But I still think he could have been in the Hardy and Orton feud, which we'll get to. But that's a big gripe for me in this show is that neither of the, you know, mid-card titles are being defended. Although one of the mid-card champions is on the card competing for another championship so that's just a little aside there I don't think it's a huge deal but I think it's a little it's a little odd that it's not happening especially when WWE likes to load up these shows make them four hours long but that might be a sign that we're going to get some really long and maybe really really entertaining matches at Hell in a Cell which I think it will be so we'll move on to entertaining but not necessarily compelling as a rivalry Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella versus The Miz and Maurice. This has been the main event feud. Yes, it is the main event. I know it's the thing that goes on last. It is the main event. Every week of SmackDown Live, sorry AJ Styles and Samoa Joe fans, but it is, and I think right now The Miz and Maurice are going to lose to Daniel Bryan and D- and Brie Bella because you know they walked out of SmackDown with the upper hand after you know getting beaten up and getting matched by Daniel Bryan and Marie and whoa that would be a weird pairing Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella I think it's a good you know finish to a mixed tag match that can still prolong the Miz and Daniel Bryan in a true singles match where nothing screwy happens so I think Brie Bella will tap out Maurice while Daniel Bryan holds back or distracts the Miz with the yes lock and I think the yes couple is going to get the win here And now I'm going to move on to the Raw Women's Championship match, which doesn't, again, doesn't feel as important as it should be. Ronda Rousey and Alexa Bliss, I think this is a lock that I can make with my eyes closed or, you know, not having watched wrestling in two years if I hadn't. I think Ronda Rousey is going to, again, demolish, demolish, demolish and, you know, kill Alexa Bliss pretty much I think Ronda Rousey is in the midst of a star making title reign that hasn't really gotten the right footing and hasn't really hit the ground running yet but you got to get through the uh, the former champion gets her rematch so I think uh, Ronda Rousey is going to demolish Alexa Bliss here soundly easily maybe not as easily as she did in SummerSlam but something like that and maybe set up something between Nikki Bella and Ronda Rousey for Evolution which is the supposed headliner and rumored headliner for that pay-per-view in October so Ronda Rousey's going to win if you ask me and then I'm going to move on to Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton the one out of the two hell in a cell matches here and this is a match where I can't argue that the stipulation is off or that it doesn't deserve it, because it does. Randy Orton viciously attacking Jeff Hardy, particularly his earlobes, which is kind of weird, but, you know, it's sadistic, it's vicious, it's Randy Orton who we haven't, it's a Randy Orton who we haven't seen this motivated since, I'd say, his authority title run, or right after that. He really looks invested in this character, he really, you know, he buys into everything he says about how he's a legend, but he's an afterthought, and he wants to go after everybody's heroes, and dismantle them, and show them that you'll only refer, have to refer to him by three names, RK, I'm gonna finish it, because he never does, O, RKO, and I think Jeff Hardy said he has something crazy planned for Sunday, and I think he's probably gonna die, 
not literally, but you know, maybe he'll do a swanton off the cell or fall through the cell or something. But I think whatever that will be will be his undoing, kayfabe and in real life. Because Jeff, please take care of yourself. Please, dear God. But I think that'll eventually lead to Randy Orton picking up the win here and continuing his kind of superstar killer instead of a legend killer. He is a fan favorite killer here, and he's going to pick up the win against Jeff Hardy. Now moving on to the SmackDown Live Women's Championship match. The champion Charlotte Flair against Stone Cold Steve Austin Part 2. Becky Lynch, and I am loving what Becky Lynch is doing. I could not care less if she's a heel. I could not care less if she's a tweener, if the crowd's treating her like a baby face, if they're booing Charlotte. I love this Becky Lynch. I love how vicious she is. I love how savage she is in her promos. I love how last week she went and disguised herself in the audience and absolutely beat up Charlotte Flair a la Chris Jericho in New Japan and on the indies. But I don't think she's going to win here. I think there will be another screwy finish, which, you know, WWE loves to do. And I think it will indecisively lead to Charlotte Flair retaining. Maybe Becky loses her shit and just gets herself disqualified. But I think that's a real possibility here. And Charlotte will retain because this match has already been booked for Evolution as well. Card subject to change, of course. But I don't see, I don't see Charlotte losing Maybe at Evolution, but I do think what could happen here is a double turn. Who knows how WWE wants to treat it? Obviously, Charlotte's kind of a franchise player for the women's division, no matter what brand she's on. But I think that Becky Lynch and Charlotte Charlotte Flair could switch roles here, and we could see Becky getting beaten up by Charlotte out of rage and a heel turn for Charlotte Flair, making Becky Lynch the babyface she needs to be and that the WWE Universe wants her to be. The reactions don't lie, WWE. Listen to us. Becky should have won. Becky should have won. But she's not going to at Hell in a Cell. Maybe Evolution, but that's down the road. I'm picking Charlotte Flair to retain no matter what. And now we get on into our final two matches of these predictions. AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe, and this has been my favorite feud in WWE since SummerSlam, and I love how the angle picked up at a pay-per-view. Sometimes you you see these these matches, these title matches, which are supposed to further storylines a la AJ's feud with Shinsuke Nakamura after WrestleMania, where it never really picked up that much. There weren't really layers to it. But at SummerSlam, Samoa Joe and his promos took that to another layer, another sense of kind of creepiness that he's kind of thinking he's this watchdog for AJ's family and trying to protect the family from AJ and vice versa. But Samoa Joe's promo work has been incredible here. While some may have found the nursery rhyme about putting AJ night-night, whatever, kind of corny and kind of weird, I absolutely loved it. It gave AJ another reason to go after Joe with no remorse at all and all brutality that he could bring. And I think that'll be why AJ Styles will retain here. I don't know if it'll be clean, if it won't be. I think this match should have been in Hell in a Cell due to how personal it is. But with AJ and Samoa Joe, I don't think you need the sell there as a gimmick to show how how intense this feud is. But I think AJ's going to win here, prolong this feud, maybe to Evolution as Not Evolution, what do I think? To Australia as well. I think I said Evolution for all of the dudes' matches 
as well. For anything, just to go back, for anything I said that the payoff will be Evolution, I meant Super Showdown in Australia. My bad there. Brain fart happens when you're recording on Saturday at 10 p.m. But I think AJ Styles is going to retain and further this feud and make it even more personal than before. And now, the main event of WWE, Hell in a Cell. Braun Strowman cashes in his Money in the Bank contract against the big dog, Roman Reigns, for the Universal Championship inside Hell in a Cell with special guest referee Mick Foley. Which is a, you know, a pleasant surprise, but why? I don't know, but Mick Foley, obviously a veteran within Hell in a Cell, obviously can bring a lot to it. Do you th- do I think he'll be a part of the finish? No, he might take a bump here, but for the love of all that is good and holy, Mick, please do not take a bump inside the cell. Your body does not need that, man. But either way, I think this is going to set up something down the line, and Braun can lose his briefcase here. I think he was the wrong choice to pick no matter what because he never really needed it. He's Braun freaking Strowman. He does not need the briefcase to show how much of a monster he is. I thought they could have gone someone to like The Miz or Samoa Joe back in Money in the Bank, but that was June. It's September. Moving on now. I think Braun doesn't need that and cashing it in in, and he's a heel and while doing it in a traditional match form, I don't think it's going to kill any momentum for Braun. I think it'll further the storylines down with uh, his new lackeys in Ziggler and McIntyre and it'll start a whole Shield versus WWE or the heels in WWE now that Baron Corbin's the GM and now that Stephanie and Corbin kind of get along. I think now this furthers it down to something at Super Showdown in Australia. You already have the six-man tag match. Maybe it'll be for all the titles that the Shield possess. And that's why I think Roman is going to retain here. You spent three years building him up, and I know I'm not the first person to say this. You spent three years building him up to beat Brock Lesnar, and now he just got the belt. So why would you take it off of him? I don't know. I think Roman's going to retain, send the crowd home. Nah, okay. Not happy, but eh, okay. And Roman is going to retain in the main event. That Yes, that will be the main event. And with that, that closes the main event of the game. A shorter podcast episode for you guys, considering that Hell in a Cell was a little short. I had an easy time narrowing down five games that I want to pick in the NFL. And what was said about the Ravens and the Bengals has already pretty much been said but I just thought I'd give my take on that. What did you guys think? Let me know. Tag us at on Twitter, at TheGamePod. You know, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Podcast.com. Download the podcast. You can get it on iTunes now, which is pretty cool. At TheGamePod on Twitter. For The Game Podcast, I'm Andrew Vandellis. I will see you all next time for Episode 9. Goodbye and good night.